Welcome to the Multitask. This is John Moore. It's your boy Friday. What's going on, guys? So now we're in a new administration, a more humane administration, but the problem still persists. We have a border crisis, and it is a crisis. Do, it, um, are, are you running with the narrative that it's a crisis, or just kind of a, a problem? No, no, it is a crisis. I mean, when you it, it, and even when you talk to the immigration activists, people sympathetic, sympathetic to the immigration community. Uh, they call it a crisis because you've still got these families coming. Well, it's not even families right now. It's a lot of unaccompanied minors, but you've got to now take care of them. And so it, it's weird because in many cases, what's happening is not too different than what was happening under Trump. But what, but there's you, you know that there's a compassionate administration, but it's still some of the same dynamics, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, the, the angle that I want to talk about here is just, how Republicans have pivoted to call it a crisis when the same thing was happening under Trump. But um, the hypocrisy is what I kind of wanted to angle at. But look, people people give crap to Trump about the cages, but they were built under Obama, just factually speaking. Obama came to a position where they were getting people that they couldn't wrangle at the border, unaccompanied minors, But which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, I read that that doesn't mean like a 12-year-old boy is showing up. It could mean that a 12-year-old boy is showing up or whatever. But if like a 10-year-old kid shows up with his 17-year-old brother, they're they're technically considered unaccompanied because there's not a, an adult there. But just that's neither here, neither here or there. But um, Obama built the cages because he needed somewhere to put people logistically until they figured out what to do with them. Um, so it, it, the cages aren't Trump's fault. The difference lies in... Trump and Jeff Sessions at the time were literally making it their policy to separate kids from their p- parents on purpose to seek out those situations to make it more cruel, cruel and inhumane. So I think that's the difference here. It's become an issue because Republicans are, are blowing it up, but it's always been an issue since Obama and even before that. So look, Jen Psaki was really going to town with it this week before everything kind of happened. And she was saying like, Everybody's criticizing, but what do you want us to do? They're showing up. We could either take them, put them in these in these places temporarily until we figure out what to do, or we could literally turn them around and tell them to go back to where they came from. So um, they're in a tough spot, but it's it's not it's it's not a Republican and Democratic issue. This is just a situation where there's a lot of people coming in, and, and we have to figure out how to deal with them as they come in. So it, it's comp- it's complicated and complex. Well, and I do think it's, I think one of the differences is, and, and I don't want to seem like we're rationalizing, right? Mm-hmm. But but it, this is a, a significant point. A lot of it is, believe it or not, just words and rhetoric as far as the change, right? It's, it's, it's the difference between, okay, this kid came here unaccompanied and we need to do with them, do something with them until we can get them in a better place. Right. Whereas, and, and, and this is not meant, and, and, and this process is not being utilized to discourage people from coming and to punish them. Whereas under the Trump administration, it really was about cruelty. I think that you, the difference is that the people in the, the Biden administration and in the previous uh, Obama administration didn't go into this with the cruelty in their heart, the desire to punish. Uh, the desire to separate. This will teach them a lesson. It was, we have a problem. These people are coming here and we need to take care of them in a humane manner. And it doesn't always land well. And and it, so it's, it's tough. <clears throat> Again, what I don't want to do 
is I don't want to go ahead and necessarily feel like I'm rationalizing and giving Biden a, a, a pass when, when he's not deserving of one. But I do think that there's a lot of nuances to how Biden did it and is doing it, how Obama did it and how Trump did it. And I think those nuances are relevant, although at the end of the day, you still have kids being held, you know, in, in conditions that are not ideal. Yeah, absolutely. That's a problem that we should fix. Um, I think part of the issue is that Republicans want to send them back immediately and Democrats want them to come in and figure out a, how to way to come in. But they're, that's still a logjam of situations where you need somewhere to put them in the meantime, right? And like you said, it, it's, I thought Jen, you said it's very nuanced. And I thought Jen Psaki did a good job of just saying, hey, she got a question about it. She said, okay, option one is to literally turn them around and tell them to go home. Option two, we put them in this place. What do you want us to do other than that? And she broke down, like, when they come in this place, we hope to have a bed for them. We hope to feed them. It's warm or cool, whatever the situation may be. And then we, I didn't actually know this, John, but they find um, almost like foster parents or people who house them temporarily until they find out a, a better situation. So I didn't even know that was a thing. But again, under Trump, they were seeking out families and then separating them purposely. And I think that's just a different situation. So look, it's complicated and complex. And I, I don't want to come across, like I said, I, Obama built the cages. That's just fact. Trump did not build the cages. So I'm not being, I don't feel like I'm being biased here, but it's just a matter of where your heart is when you're doing it. If you're trying to help people and it just doesn't land perfectly, that's just a complicated situation that they're trying to fix. So I don't know what the solution is. I'm sure there's a smarter person out there who can answer that. Well, I'll tell you one of the things, and this is one of the toughest things about that I experienced, and, and I've been through this within enough cycles, is the thing that's going to be tough for me is, and understand, this is going, this is more on me than this particular community, is the activist community. The one thing about the immigration activists is they've been con they've been consistent throughout, and that's something that everybody needs to realize. Whether it's Obama or Bush or Trump or Biden, they've had the same message. Right. This is where it gets a little tricky when it's Obama and Biden. You and I have a lot more patience and understanding with what they're doing. When it's Bush or Trump, you and I are marching with those immigration activists and we're like, you're right. And we're, we're geeking them up. And I want to acknowledge that on my part. Right. I want to acknowledge where, where I may be moving a little bit more. And I'm not necessarily, and, and I, I will tell you right now, I'm saying this, but I know probably in the next month or two, I'll probably be like, how dare you say that about Joe Biden? How dare you say it about Kamala Harris? But the one thing that's important is that they are consistent. And I think that should be something that's not lost. I mean, and it's going to be tough. It's, it's really hard listening to some of the people I really look up to and admire come at a Democratic administration so hard. But the thing is, and I'm, and I'm probably not going to react the best way. But I'm going to acknowledge that they are consistent regardless of who's in charge. Yeah, and I'll take your I'll take your thing and run with it as well. I, I do feel the same way. I remember last week we were talking about those people who who are in the game to push, 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 and they might not get anything done, but they're there to keep everybody else honest. That's what I feel like those activists do, and a lot of it happened with with um, the wars. Like I come from a community in the Middle East where we've been bombed for as long as america's been around right so it's like obama did that too and trump did it and biden did it and we saw that biden did it within the first 30 or 40 days in that situation right so 
those people are consistent. They call Obama, Hillary, Trump, Biden, they call them all war hawks. And, and look, that it's nuanced. The same situation with the immigration at, at the borders is very nuanced and it's very complicated. And they're right, right? They have points that they're making that they're right. So we have to do better of listening. And I just feel like I have to get better about what's happening at the border in the sense of what are the actual solutions? Um, sometimes I feel like we could just build a big building with, with, with beds and a kitchen and bathrooms and staff it and give people jobs and, and keep people secure. But I also know like there's the, the borders in New Mexico and the borders in Texas and the border is across the whole kind of those Southern states. So it's, it, like you would have to build a bunch of those buildings and it's all very, the different planes and everything. I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm trying to do the work so I could be more educated about it, but um, it's a very complicated issue. So we should listen to those activism because they've been in the work and they've been doing the work. But here's a question though. Um, and cause I don't think that we are rationalizing. Right. But what, I guess one of the questions that I have is I need to understand that they're consistent, but do they, to some extent have a responsibility to see the nuance to realize that yeah in many ways the same thing is happening but the reality is is biden's not trying to lose these kids biden's biden is going to work his butt off to make sure that these kids are reunited with whatever custodial people that they're expected to be reunited with and everything else so i i mean i on the one hand i applaud the consistency and i respect it but the other on the other hand that consistency does also, though, kind of um, deny the nuance. And I think that nuance is important. So do activists have a responsibility to see the nuance in some cases? I don't think I don't I don't know that they aren't already. I think a lot of the activists see this country as all powerful because in some ways it is. Right. And we saw what Trump was or what Biden was able to do to say, National Guard is going here, here, here. We're going to make uh, veterinarians and dentists and everybody being able to administer the vaccine. We're going to make uh, these companies work together. So a lot of ways there's America could do a lot of different things that, that, that the activists feel that they're not doing. So the activists feel that if this was a different problem that maybe people cared about more, that the immigration problem would be solved. Bring them in, give them housing, boom, boom, boom. Just bring them, just open the doors. Just let, why is there a border? That's what the, a lot of the people feel, right? And I, I don't, I don't know that that's wrong. I guess I don't think that they are ignoring the nuance. I just think that they feel like we probably drag our feet a little bit more than we should on this issue and a lot of different issues. Right, right, right. Um, you know, one of the things that's falling into activism realm, and I'm going to apologize right now for not having put this in show prep, but it just, uh, but it's, it's a connected, it's a connected thread in some of the issues, is. Um, what did you think about the pushback from Tamir Rice's mom, Samira Rice, against the, I guess, the the Black Lives Matter industry? I mean, she obviously swung out of Tamika Mallory, but later in the week, she kind of went in on everybody. Did you, first of all, did you uh, follow any of it? Were you read in on any of it? Um, I, I, I didn't timeline? deep dive, but it was on the timeline enough where I just picked up on a few things, yeah. And one of the things that happened was... Um, during it was triggered during the Grammys, yeah. right? When Tamika Mallory's up there uh, doing a song with the baby, little and, baby. Um, Sorry, John, little baby. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, the the state of hip you are, the the state of hip hop today is so poor. No, I disagree. So I disagree. I I, I I I hate to be that. I mean, our our difference in age is showing, but the state of hip hop today is just 
so so far. <laughs> uh, that being that be, that being said, um, you know, she had a point there, and I think what it was is even these families that got settlements, they're struggling, right? She's struggling, uh, and some and don't forget even even with the people who are in these particular positions, there's a pecking order, right? You know, it, it was it. Think about it. Laquan McDonald, I never felt, given all the other stuff, when I'm talking about the National Black Lives Matter people, Laquan McDonald never really got the do that he did. And 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 realistically, the only use use that Laquan McDonald McDonald had in many people's eyes was to take down Rom. Mm-hmm. Right, but I I didn't feel like there was this national the the D Rays and Sean Kings and all those people were really all that concerned about uh, Laquan McDonald. But when they saw an opportunity to take down Rom, they went for it. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I said it all to say, um, I do think that what she did was important because the she was saying, look, th- these families are real. Whether we get money or don't get money, we've lost our loved one, and we take everything just to have them back. And you've got these these activists, these high-profile activists, these high-profile attorneys who are basically just getting in front of the train and supporting everything. And so, I mean, it, to me, and of course, you know my attitude towards a lot of that that movement, it, the, the high-profile figures in the movement. You know, it was it was kind of like, you know, preaching to the choir for me. But, uh, I mean, she, she spilled some tea as the week went on. She, she did this interview on this Sirius XM radio show. She said that Breonna Taylor's mom hates Black Lives Matter. But then she also made the distinction between the National Black Lives Matter network and the local Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter activists. She said in most towns, the, the people on the ground that are not the flying all over the country, and even if they call themselves Black Lives Matter, she said that they are really... She she gave them props. She was really going against the fact that um, if something were to happen in City Y tomorrow, Tamika Mallory, Ben Crump, and all those people would be there in the front of the cameras. Yeah, you know something I thought of. Um, I really got involved with the with the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement right after um, Michael Brown. I think it kind of kicked off with with Trayvon in Florida, but I think Michael Brown kind of really kicked it off. And I remember back then. They were saying, uh, the people on the ground were saying, I don't want to say anybody's name, but well, I'll tell you after the show, but they were saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter isn't a business. It's not a corporation. We have no leadership structure. It's really people in cities on the local because the people, when something would happen in St. Louis, they say St. Louis activists will say, don't come. We have we have resources here. When something happened in Baltimore, they said, don't come. So there was just already organizers in those cities who were organizing. And I think what ended up happening was someone along the way incorporated it and turned it into kind of a, a, a business, quote unquote, on paper. And then and then people started donating to that, especially after the George Floyd thing happened in the past summer, right? So um, look, Black Lives Matter movement got in trouble earlier than this. I don't even remember they 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 said that they had all this money and they were like, all the people were like, well, what are you spending it on if you have $90 million in the bank or whatever the number was. Right. So um, I'm not surprised. I'm also, this is also nuanced, John, just like you said, because I bet you that um, Tamir Rice's mom and Trayvon Martin's mom probably have different opinions on what to do moving forward. The same way as George Floyd's family or um, Breonna Taylor's mom. So all of these different people probably have different ideas, even though they probably go through the same thing. So um, 
I've always believed that you just have to listen to the local people on the ground because when I when I went to the protest for Laquan McDonald, I didn't see any of those people because it was just mostly Chicago people. So um, I always get worried when you have national people for a local movement, if that makes sense. Right, and one of the things though that I thought was fascinating, and of course now I'm gonna I'm gonna spill some tea because you know I'm petty. Um, was was, was uh, Tamir's mom went in um, on on Talcum X, mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, Sean King. What do we? What are, you know I call him El Defraud, um, but she said that um, she never heard of him, and uh, he had gone ahead and raised. He had a check for her for sixty thousand dollars. And it was her second attorney. Just so you know, she fired Ben Crump too. Um, and it was just, and they had set up all the accounts and everything. And she said that first and foremost, she's on her third lot of attorneys. She said that sixty thousand dollars almost went exclusively to the attorneys. But then she found out that Sean King, in Tamir's name, had actually raised over a hundred thousand, maybe like a hundred and ten thousand dollars. So technically, Sean King still owes her fifty, yeah, uh, fifty thousand dollars. Um, but it goes to show you how people have gone ahead and capitalized. And the other pieces she said in reference to 90 million that you referenced, she said she's sitting here trying to build a Tamir Rice Center and she can't get funding for it yet. These, and she's Tamir Rice's mom and the people who go around using Tamir Rice's name are making a ton of money and raising money and they're getting book deals and they're getting movie deals and they're appearing on stage in the Grammys with somebody named baby, whatever the hell his name is. I'm going to be an old fogey here, but, 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 but the reality is, is that I'd be pissed too. I, you know, at one and it's, and, and some people are like, well, she's upset about the mayor, not the money. No, it is to a certain extent, but that's your family member and you should be in charge of, uh, to some extent, you know, whether people make money off that person or not make money, maybe you should get some compensation from all the people who are making money in the in the name of, you know, I wonder if Brianna Taylor's family gets any percentage of sales from all the masks that say Brianna Taylor, right? So, you know, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a very, very, you know, interesting piece. But, you know, when we brought up about the activists in, you know, at the board, I was like, you know, this is a very kind of related subject. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody who put it into perspective, I'm going to change gears a little bit, but someone who put it into perspective to me, believe it or not, was um, Biggie's mom. I don't know if you know, Netflix has a Biggie documentary that um, really shows his mom a lot talking. Do you remember when Biggie died and they brought his, um, they brought the funeral up line to Brooklyn and people were in the street celebrating and, and, and dancing to his music. She said that she, 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 I'm paraphrasing, but she said along the lines that she wasn't able to necessarily mourn in private anymore because all these people were fans of her son. And I wonder if it's a little bit of that with 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 Breonna Taylor's mom or Tamir Rice's family or George Floyd's family is like, you see people who never really met your kid who might not know what he's about or who he was, who scream his name, who hashtag his name. On some level, you might feel proud and that someone's trying to help. But at the same time, it's like, who are you? And it's a little bit of an outsider coming into kind of your, 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 and I just wonder if they're able to even mourn because um, of so much public uh, just attention to their, to somebody like Tamir Rice. So I, I just wonder if um, Tamir Rice's mom is not the only one who feels like that. Cause I know Trayvon Martin's mom ran for local government and Brianna Taylor's mom is very involved. So I wonder if this is going to continue to be a thing. 
If, does that, right. does any yeah, of that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think at the end of the day, to your to your earlier point you made too about how they probably all have different attitudes yeah. towards the actives and towards Black Lives Matter. I think the reality is is that at the end of the day. Um, I'm not too concerned with, and I think you agree, I'm not too concerned with negotiating what Tamir Rice's mom and Trayvon Martin's mom sort of, where they agree or don't disagree. I think what's the most important thing, though, is that they control their 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 son, in these in the cases, sons, but they control their son's legacy. They can, they're the ones who, you know, I don't want to say profit off of death because that's a really bad way to look at it, um, but, you know, that they're the ones who, if anyone's going to wreak benefits from from their um child's name and you know these are these right now would be both grown-ass men um if anyone were to reap benefits it should be their family it should be in the case of tamir rice the center yeah. that you know his mom's trying to build it's it's really tough you know another uh distressing subject going from one sad uh thing to another is the situation in atlanta that was really surreal i remember the first time i heard about i heard about it was was it did it happen on thursday or did it happened on wednesday um, I think it happened late Wednesday night, if not mistaken. Late Wednesday, yeah. Um, but when I first heard about it, it was it was kind of that disbelief, and they weren't yet sure to connect. They, I think I saw something about there were two different uh, or three different crime scenes where people were were killed. They didn't really identify ethnicity. I think they did say massage parlors, um, but that was bizarre. Eight people total, six of whom are of Asian descent. It, it was. What, what was your take when, when you first heard about it and, and as you saw the story progress? A little bit surreal because ironically that Monday or Tuesday, I was listening to a podcast um, with somebody who directed a movie called Boogie. His name is Eddie Huang, who's like a social media personality now. But, um, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we went, we, 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 we actually went to uh, a steakhouse in New York just because that's one of his favorite places, and we were highly oh, nice. disappointed. I'll tell you that story later, but we went to, to one of the... He, I was just listening to a movie podcast because he has a new movie coming out, and I'm a fan of him, and they really brought up the, um, the coronavirus, basically the backlash against Asian Americans in this country based off the rhetoric from the coronavirus. And we saw early, early on in the pandemic that people stopped eating Chinese food, and people stopped trusting um, being around Asian people. And then, then on top of that, I think that happened before Trump really kind of ran into it. And I think Trump uh, just just put it on steroids, right? That's what Trump does is, is he's able to take something that's festering and just, and just put it on steroids and really blow it up. And um, Trump leaned into it. He called it the China flu. We saw that famous picture where he purposely crossed out coronavirus on his speech and, and called it the the, the Chinese, Chinese flu or Kung flu or whatever he used to call it. So um, look, this rhetoric has been building just like January 6th. That rhetoric was building for a long, long time. It didn't just lead up to that the day before. So um, I, I just I just hope that we're able to turn this around. But at the end of the day, we've seen the, the backlash against minorities in this country when something happens. When 9-11 happened, there was a massive backlash against Arab Americans in this country. There still is, right? Um, when gang violence happens, there's always backlash against Black and Latino uh, people in this country. So this isn't new to this country. This is what this country is in a lot of ways, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I, th- I think one of the things that, um, that I thought was interesting, and do you ever, like, have, see something that annoys you and you want it to stop, but then when it stops that concerns you and i'll tell you what it is um one of the things that pisses me off about cable news is their one track mind mm-hmm. they don't multitask 
And there's been so many different situations, different things that have happened over the last 10 to 15 years where they dive in. Say, for instance, if a Middle Eastern, uh, remember when like a Middle Eastern, uh, American-born Middle Eastern uh, person of, of Middle Eastern descent who is in the army shoots up a base, it's wall-to-wall coverage. And that irks me. I keep saying multitask. Or if there's a shooting or something, you know, that give the the bulk of your coverage to this and then cover the other stuff. With this shooting, they did that. They actually gave it a significant amount of coverage and then they covered other stuff. And that's what I wanted, but when it happened, I questioned why it happened because you have a white shooter and uh, primarily Asian-American victims, six, six of the eight. So it was really weird because the way that they actually covered it was how I've wanted them to cover more stuff to where they would actually multitask the name of the show, Wait, right? By the way, the, when you say more the, stuff, the, you mean the nuance of it, not necessarily like cover other topics, but like just the layers of the story. Well, the layers of the story, but don't forget, they're still following COVID. Yeah, yeah. They, they literally, they li- think about this. When there's a lot of st- um, situations similar that aren't even nearly as fatal, don't have the body count, they go wall to wall. They they wake up in the morning and this is where they are and it's you know every hour and hour and they don't they don't shift on anything. They just stay focused on that. And that irks me. And then it happened this week that they actually moved to other subjects and then it pissed me off. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> I mean what, 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 what so I mean I mean, is this a case you think that the press is doing what I wanted them to do because they're changing or do you think that there was a reason why they opted to not give it the wall-to-wall? It got a ton of coverage, I think appropriate coverage under normal circumstances, but I still question as to why they finally made that change. Do you, do you, I mean, what is your take on that? Um, honestly, I, I thought it got just wall-to-wall coverage across the board. Also, like, there's just so much happening like that I just wonder if they couldn't um, – keep it in the news that long just because there are bigger stories happening in theory right i don't know if we, we want to judge it as bigger but i just think there's so much happening that they probably wanted to move on but on my end i didn't feel that I, it got wall-to-wall coverage i also just it just like they just ran with the narrative of like this white guy who's a christian and he would never do this in a million years and it wasn't a hate crime and and the cop who said he just had a bad day like all of that stuff was just ridiculous and and we have to just start getting better. I'm sorry, we just have to. No, I mean, but I know what you're like, saying. I but, just, I'm saying, I didn't yeah. feel that because I just felt like it was wall to wall poor coverage at some level. Like I say, I, it's what I wanted, but it's not wall to wall. Like when you watch, like during, um, you know, what was it? Uh, you know, the high school down at uh, Marjorie Stone Douglas. You know, Chris Hayes the entire hour, Rachel Maddow the entire hour, Lawrence O'Donnell the entire hour. Last night, Chris Hayes had. Or somebody had, uh, not necessarily Chris Hayes, but someone else had Michael Cohen on. You know, the, the, the again, I like this. Yeah. But I wish that th- I wish that this wasn't the first time it happened. Yeah. And because it's the first time it happened, I'm it's suspect in my mind. And I and and, and yes, I will be proven right when the next unfortunate tragedy where the dynamics might be different, and if they go wall to wall to wall again, you know, it. I I don't know why. Like I said, I it's what I wanted. Yeah. I just, I just didn't want the, the smell. I don't yeah. feel good. 
I, it's, I don't want this to be the fr- I wish it wasn't the first time. I wish it had been something else that had happened yeah. that would have allowed them to press the multitask. Um, but, you know, it's, it, and, but it's going back to Reddick. You saw the hearing where Chip Roy of um, Texas was talking about how uh, he basically used a reference to lynching and he yeah. didn't, he didn't take, he didn't think, he didn't think it was all that offensive. And then he said, I don't apologize. Uh, then you had a situation uh, in which Rodney Davis, a congressman from uh, the 13th District here in Illinois, actually went ahead and said uh, something where he doesn't think calling uh, something the Kong flu or China virus is any different than the UK variant. But there's some differences even there. There's some nuance, and he was he was concerned about political correctness run amok. Um, Republicans showed their ass this week. It was it was it was it was not a good week for Republicans, but. Then again, is it ever a good week for Republicans? No, it's never a good week. For, they're going to spin everything to the to the as much as they can to try to get some good press out of it. They, look, a lot of these Republicans know that their words and rhetoric matters, and I just think when the chickens come to roost, uh, they they want to spin and deflect as much as they can. So I think that's what happened this week. Um, there was people saying that it wasn't even hate crime; that it was like he had sexual fantasies against women by the way violence against women is a hate crime so it's not it's not like um it's not like we could dif- differentiate it. it's still a hate crime so um look we know that women they they don't view women on the same level i, I mean these right-wing kind of republicans don't view women as as kind of um equals i i can say that very proudly you don't have to stand by that and we also know the same thing with minorities. So this was minority women. So I didn't expect them to step up to the plate because they never do. Right. And it's 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 the typical white supremacist, uh, in this case, very patriarchal yeah. uh, type of attitude. And, and you know, it, it, what it does, though, is it, it, it diminishes what is going on. Let's just pretend that they may be right. They cannot deny the climate that's going on with the increasing attacks on Asian Americans. Yeah. You saw that footage of that woman uh, in San Francisco who whipped some dude's butt and dudes in a stretcher and everything else. Um, and what someone pointed out though was funny was that she was hurt. Not funny, but it's bad. She was hurt too, and she was not receiving medical attention. Yeah, exactly. This guy attacked her, and he's on a stretcher getting medical attention, and she's not well. And she's older. She's yeah. not getting, and she's older, and she's not getting medical attention. But the reality is, is that there is a climate there, and guess what? Uh, right-wing white men who carry guns, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, it could very well be that he had a sexual addiction and everything else. He does not get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, I, I, in, in a court of law, he's you know innocent until proven guilty, but in the court of public opinion, um, the Asian American community has been targeted and been targeted hard. And they're living in fear, and it's you know, it's it's tough. You know, it's um one of the things that happened recently. Um, I was do, working on a statement, and I, before I put it out, I actually called one of my Asian American friends, uh, and just read it back to them. And part of the reason why is she and I have a long term working relationship, and I said I'm calling you because I think the statement hits, but I know as a black person, I don't know how many times someone who's not black right. put out a statement. And the first thing I say is, do they have any black friends? And so I said, I'm, I'm trying to do this right now so that I don't go ahead and write this statement in a manner in which someone will read it yeah. and say, do they have any, black, any Asian friends? But 
it's important. But the other thing, though, that she and I try not to do as well is I'm also not a big fan of, you know, when something's happening, like when the George Floyd, when someone says, when they say, check in on your black friends. Yeah. Because, dude, if I'm not talking to you on a regular basis, don't call me because you saw Chris Hayes say, check in on your black friends. And so that was the other disclaimer when I called her. I said, I'm not following the, the guidelines. You know, but because more importantly, with your friends who are of all different ethnicities, you need to stay connected. Mm-hmm. And you aren't calling them to check in on them. You're calling them to check in on them, uh, or you're calling them on a daily basis, on a regular basis, because you're just, you're, you're, you're like that, and you're just seeing how they're doing. I mean, granted, you do want to pay a little bit extra attention, and you want to bring it up, maybe, but... Uh, if you haven't talked to someone in two years, <laughs> and I and I'm serious, I'm not sure if you've ever had this uh, during you know times in which the Middle Eastern community was targeted or something. But I've actually had this happen during when they say call your black friends, people I've not talked to in ages, out of the blue. And then don't forget, since they want to check in with you, they start going really deep. You're like, dude, you're just a casual acquaintance, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're sitting here trying to check on my mental health. If trust me, if 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 I'm if I'm being hit, you're not the person I'm going to tell. Exactly, it's the man. person, it's the people I'm talking to on a regular basis. You know, it's funny. I, don't you, but I, I don't get that. In part, I don't get that when when there's like a terrorist attack and they go against uh, my people, but. I think part of it is because I kind of grew up around um, Latino and black people. So I, I kind of like, look, I, I don't want to say this. It'd correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, I feel like I'm, I'm part of those communities in that way where I just feel like I bonded with them. So I don't ever feel like I, they don't look at me as like the Arab guy. They just kind of look at me as like, that's the dude who I grew up with down the street. You know what I mean? Which is ironic. But I, I would like to say something though. You brought up an interesting point about the white supremacy and the narrative they're painting. Have you seen that they've said this guy was super religious and that he used to go to church every week and all that stuff? I want Bill Maher to say that this was a a Christian extremist. I'm ready for that conversation because every single time there's a Muslim American that, or a Muslim who does an act of violence is always Islamic. That's how they always describe it. So I'm, I want to call this Christian terrorism. I'm ready to just to run with that because that's what this is. You have a white Christian religious person who um, his family and friends say go to church and who was extremely, extremely into it. And this is violence. So I'm just going to run with that. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, you, you can run with it. It, 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 it is right wing. And, you know, it, it is. It's, it's how it is. It's how it is. So uh, this week, uh, the White House is getting heat because they've been. Uh, either suspending mm-hmm. or making people work from home, and in some cases, firing folks um, who have admitted to pot use, and it's getting severe blowback. Uh, I have a take on it, but before I go there, what, what, how do you want to assess or address or frame the situation? I think it's just not worth. Fra- Here's my framing of it. From what I read, it was five people. And it wasn't only marijuana that was involved. From what I understand, there was other drugs involved. But also, you know what I thought of was like, what does it mean? Like, did you use marijuana once in college or are you an active user and you're going to get, you're going to go to the the situation room, pop it edibles. Like there's just so many different nuances here. So the first thing I thought of was like, I don't think this is a thing. I don't think anybody in the, I think there's people in the Biden administration who use marijuana regularly. They just probably won't say anything, but 
Um, I don't know. I, I don't really have a super take on this. My only take is that it's a, probably not a story that they're trying to make a story. Yeah. It, well, it's it, it to me, it comes down to framing. Yeah. And we talk about framing a lot. Yes, they are letting go. They they are getting lo- letting go of people who have used pot in the past, or at least they're suspending them and making work from home. But it has less to do with the what I'm reading. It has less to do with the pot usage. It has more to do with an overall pattern that there are multiple flags on that person's security clearance mm-hmm. that call into question their fitness to have the security, not even their fitness to do a job, but understand that to work in the White House, you need a certain level of security clearance, right? And different and people so have reality, different clearances, yeah. Different people have different clearances. And so um, it's weird because the first thing you're going to talk about when well, you have a vice president who admitted to pot use and everything else. But for just so you know, first thing you know, elected officials don't have to go through those clearances, which is kind of scary. Uh, <laughs> Trump would have... Trump would have never gotten clearance. No, you and I both know kids, that. Ha- yeah. Right. And you and I both know none of the Republicans, there's a good percentage of Republicans in Congress who wouldn't get the clearance. Not at all. No, there's probably some folks on our, there's probably some folks on our side who wouldn't get the clearance. For either. sure. Um, so that's the first thing. But I think that it's a simple, sensational headline. And it's a great headline to say, oh, they're hypocrites. They're going ahead. And we know that while there's a movement to legalize marijuana and make it more acceptable, you know, this is this is them being hypocritical. But I also think that, and, and you know, what I tweeted out was in that same article, they note, noted that there were other security concerns that these individuals had. And, and as long as you don't acknowledge that there's not that there's other security concerns. It's easy to go ahead and call the sensationalize the story and call out the White House. But once you see that there's other security concerns, then it's a lot harder mm-hmm. to go ahead and be and wave your finger and call them hypocritical. And you know this is over. You know this is you know some type of just you know horrible type of action on the part of the White House. Yeah, not only that, but there there is functionally no federal law that says you can right so it's still technically against the rules if you're a federal employee um i don't think they're targeting people who use marijuana in the past i just think these are five cases that of people who happen to use marijuana in the past and have other flags like you said um it's it's funny like if weed is only legal i think in 17 states so it's not like it's um don't get me wrong, it's growing and we should totally legalize it federally across the whole board, but um, we're just not there yet. So I just think, like you said, this is just one side trying to make a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. Well, you know, and, and one of the things though, that, that I was told, I'm not sure, but I was told that even like with your the, the issue with some drug usage on the White House security clearance is it's better to say, yes, I did and own up to say no, I didn't, and get found out. It's always like it's always right? better to tell the truth, yeah. Right. So you know, there's it's it. There's a lot more to it. And by the way, uh, I'm not sure if anyone else has had this experience. I've had this experience. One of my good friends worked in the Obama administration, and he was going for security clearance. And he said, and what's funny is a friend of mine whose wife worked for George Bush had told me about this when his wife worked for George Bush said you have to get clearance and part of getting clearance is your friends and acquaintances get interviewed. So my buddy was up for a security clearance and I get a call from an 
a federal agent. I'm not sure if it's FBI or if there's like a source. It's like, I need to come by and talk to you about your friend who is trying to get a clearance. They came in and sat in my apartment for two hours and it wasn't coming at me hard, but was persistent and came at me four or five different ways. And, and like they would, and, and the big thing that they try to get in, believe it or not, one of the most important things is they want to make sure that this person is not a foreign asset. Yeah. So what they do is they ask about relationships and they ask, you know, this and that. And what's so funny is my friend is, uh, well, is, I won't say that my friend's married to a woman. My friends, they're both my friends. So I want to, I want to, I want to own them both. But his wife, who is just as much my friend is, uh, was an un- came here as an unaccompanied minor as a refugee, and they went back to her home country at one point, and they were asking me about those questions, and they asked me these questions, and I, you know, he obviously passed, but I just remember for the first twelve hours, I was like, did I say too much? Did I say the wrong thing? Because they literally would come at you. These guys are good. Well, of course, these guys are good. Uh, but <laughs> it was funny. Last thing before we go about the White House. Um, our boy was, uh, I call it, trot, taking a trot up the steps, mm-hmm. and uh, he had his ankles broke. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of Biden's falling up the stairs? I thought that I'd probably fall up those stairs, too, and I'm a big guy. So, guys, this is a non-thing. It's just, it's funny. The memes are going to come. Cool. Let's have fun with it. Um, I think Gerald Ford one time fell down the steps. Um, oh, for, one time. It was just, you know, that was his reputation. So much so, I want you to watch old Senate Live clips with Chevy Chase. And Chevy Chase was always (laughs) playing Ford and he was always falling. And that was like an ongoing skit on Saturday Night Live. So, yeah, I mean, George Bush choked on a pretzel. I don't think anything like that happened with Obama. Um, But that's a different situation. But, like, look, I mean, Trump had toilet paper on his shoe. Uh, he couldn't. He had to hold Merkel's hand walking down the steps. He had to hold the, the general's hand walking down the ramp. This is not. We saw Biden take a bike ride, and that's more athletic than I am right now. So, as far as I'm concerned, he has. He could have a few slip ups, and I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, I you 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 talked about Bush choking on a pencil. First of all, no one saw that, but I you might be too young. And I saw someone mention it on Twitter the other day. And they didn't know this happened, but you may have heard, may or may not have heard this, even even if just it's on Twitter. Did you ever hear about the first George Bush? What he did? I, they were over they were overseas in Japan, and he barfed on the lap I did, of the head of Japan. I did hear about this, and, yes. and there's video of it. There's video of it of him. Oh. <laughs> but you know, here, here's the thing, and this is where Trump really screwed us up as a country. That stuff happens. How many how many times have you walked down and you know I'm I'm the king of the playoff, right? Where I'll trip <laughs> up and and and, and, and I look around and I and that one person always gets in mind. They're like, "Your secret's safe with me." <laughs> um, Trump had gotten to where he's so invincible mm-hmm. that he could never have. And remember, he would make fun of Hillary. Remember when Hillary was running and um, they all went to a nine eleven a memorial and she was suffering or just gotten over about a pneumonia and yeah. weakness. He put, he put so much emphasis on the weakness and everything else. He could never have stuff like this happen. Biden is, like you said, he's in his late 70s, and he's still in great shape. He's in good shape. Um, if I was Biden, I'd have fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'd post a meme. My favorite meme is, is the picture of Biden running up the stairs as Steph Curry, Steph Curry yeah. is, 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 is putting a move on him. 
But if I'm buying, I'm having fun with it, yeah. you know, because, you know, and the thing I said to you is that's what happens when you literally are trying to run up the steps. Trump, that would have never happened to Trump because Trump would have walked up, Trump walked up and down those stairs like he was scared for his he life. He was scared. He yeah. was, you, you know, Biden, Biden was in a, I mean, he reached out to, to, to brace himself at one point, but Biden was in a, I'm not, he was in a little trot yeah. like this where, where, and he wasn't holding on to anything. Right. Yeah. Not um, not only that, but uh, maybe the women don't. Well, women probably know this, so I, I won't say anything. But those sometimes those shoes are super slippery on the bottom. Not to say anything. Like when I rent those shoes for like a wedding or something, like they can get super slippery on on on, on uh, especially on an outside surface where it's cold. It's like he fell. As far as I'm concerned, he should run into it and have fun with it and, and get it over with. Yeah. Uh, but you know what was interesting, um, and. It's weird, you know, and you know this as a filmmaker. There's nothing like that great shot, you know. You know whether 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 it's a video shot, whether it's a photo, whatever. And did you see the footage? And it really touched a lot of people, especially African Americans and women. Um, <clears throat> did you see the footage of Kamala walking up the steps, leaving Atlanta last night? It was her by herself, with you know head down, walking up the stairs and. You know, there's multiple planes that they have in their arsenal. And she was in a, wasn't in a 747. Oh, by the way, there's some, another element I got to share with you after this. But she wasn't in a, she was in a very large plane, though, probably 757. And it was one of those where the um, ramp was a little bit more recessed. It wasn't, it was closer to the wings than to the cockpit. But she was walking up and it was dark out. And I'll have to send to you, it just looks, people just like the power because they're like, realizing you don't ever see a woman let alone a black woman you know walking into this plane with united states of america on the side and you could tell that she's the boss yeah right but here's something that's fascinating you know they're not allowed to fly together right, right. they staged an amazing photo op yesterday evidently they both landed in atlanta at the same time and maybe kamala was first kamala boarded i don't know where she did it she boarded air force one so when Biden came off of Air Force One in Atlanta yesterday, Kamala was behind him. And so so the thing is, is some people are like, this is amazing. Other people are like, how did that happen? Well, we know how it happened is they both landed at the same time. Maybe she landed just a little bit before him. And then she went on and then they, but the, so you see there's, there's a photo of them walking off of Air Force One and he she's about a good 10, 15 feet behind him. But you know, that was on purpose. I mean, there's really no reason for, unless there was some type of, you know, Air Force One is a traveling White House. So there may have been some type of meeting or something that where, you know, they were on the ground and they had to convene in Air Force One. But it was pretty, it was a pretty amazing shot. So those are two shots that I'll have to send yeah, you. Yeah, please do. Show. I'm interested in yeah. watching them, man. Yes. So on that note, this is John signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week. Peace.